Welcome to Finding Your Bench, brought to you by Parkside Investments, a show designed to help listeners overcome the challenges associated with preparing for retirement. Welcome to Finding Your Bench. My name is Nelson. I'm a wealth advisor here at Parkside Investments. Today, we're going to be exploring the concept of long-term investing and the impact the strategy has on the health of your portfolio. We'll be joined by Alan Cole, Founder and Chief Investment Officer, as well as our Managing Director, Chris Engelman. So to get things started, I think it would be good if you could help define the phrase long-term investor. Sure, and I'll start with that. When I think of long-term investing, I think of making sure that you are matching up your assets and your liabilities and matching up your investment philosophy with how long it's going to take and when you expect to actually use that money. So that if you're investing for a newborn's college education, well, you think about that as an 18-year investment horizon. If you're thinking, if you're in your 40s and you're thinking about retirement, well, that could be 50, 60, 70 years that you're going to need your money to last. And so when I think about long-term investing, it's investing for that time horizon that you want that money to last until you expect to use it. Clearly, there's a benefit to long-term investing, um, but not everyone does it, right? There's a lot of emotions in the market. So why, why do you think there is such a challenge with really becoming this long-term investor, which is ultimately going to be a benefit for a lot of people out there? Well, I think it goes back to the fact that we are human beings and we are prone to making errors and prone to recency bias and the idea of I could lose money here. And is there a way for me to do even better than that? You know, makes you deviate from what sh- the plan is in place because you're scared of losing money. Typically, individuals look at their goals and they're, and they're usually more long-term oriented. As Chris discussed, it may be long-term objectives for retirement. Usually goals are not measured in days or weeks, but they're measured in years and decades. Our view is that investment strategies typically should help to mirror at least the time horizon when you're looking at what your goals and objectives are over a longer period of time. And often that means taking investment strategies that are also not short or short-term oriented, but longer-term oriented. So while in the public sphere and certainly in media, there's a great emphasis on short-term fluctuations in the markets. For long-term investors, those are more noise, largely more noise. And while we do think it's important that there can be incremental news that's gained on a daily basis, it's less about the market fluctuations in the short term that drive what our long-term investment strategy is. And that long-term investment strategy is designed to help the clients meet their longer-term goals. From a psychological point of view, the pain you take an investment going down is much greater than the euphoria you feel when an investment goes up. And people want to avoid that pain. And so they say, I'm smarter than the market or I'm smarter than most of the other investors. And here's a way for me to avoid that pain. You had talked about the pain of COVID. And you saw securities take a major plunge, obviously, because the uncertainty of the future. But if we look back over the last 20 years, there's really no shortage of events that could have negatively impacted the market and did negatively impact the market. 
this is the question that I really think is important for the both of you to answer here is, you know, when you're talking to clients and they bring up these major market events, how are you helping to quell some of that uncertainty around what is the next big thing? The hardest part about that is that we never know what the next big thing is or when it will occur. I think that, quite frankly, anybody who is older than, say, 25 years old remembers the financial crisis. And for our generation, that is the big event that nobody wants to go through again. And so that's in the back of their minds. I don't want to suffer through that type of market decline, have the fear that I'm going to outlive my assets and that I'll lose my job, et cetera. That was the, the, the really big event that I think remains in the back of everybody's mind every time they worry about whatever the next big event will be. I think that causes the potential for an overreaction and a little bit too much of a concentration on trying to time the market, which is a very difficult process. It seems like in history, nobody's been able to time the market right twice. Sometimes people may have been lucky with one or they offer enough prognostications that eventually they are right. Um, our view is, is that that's not the expertise that we have. And we don't think that it's as fruitful of a, of a practice for any individual to pursue. I want to go back to the financial crisis and talk about the emotions because you brought up a lot of really good points between the both of you. The financial crisis hit every generation. For millennials, it was not being able to find a job. For Gen X, it was they maybe just purchased that house at the top of the market and then they, you know, they saw the, the value being wiped away. And then obviously for boomers you know, approaching retirement, they may have seen that largest vehicle as in their 401k take a reduction in value by nearly 50%. Everyone got impacted by the financial crisis. And it obviously took a very emotional toll. But one thing you had talked about is timing. So what advice would you have for someone that maybe is experiencing some uncertainty around the market and is standing on the sidelines of the market today, maybe not wanting to get in because they're impacted by the financial crisis in some way I'd mentioned, or maybe they were impacted by any other events that I had spoke about in the past? It's really hard to time the market. It's really hard. And whether you get back in through a dollar cost averaging program or you get back in by really identifying, okay, how much money am I going to need in the medium term? And I, when I say medium term, I'm talking about three to five years and making sure that you have liquidity in place for that mark to give the market the time to recover. Go back to dollar cost averaging, because that's a term that a lot of people obviously in the industry know. But for someone that's listening that doesn't understand that term, can you just speak to it just a little bit? Sure. Um, so this is the idea of instead of putting in all the money on day one, you say, I'm going to put this money in equal increments, monthly increments over the next three months, over the next two years, over the next five years. Depends on your risk tolerance level and how much risk you think you want to take. And it's the idea of putting equal amounts over a set period of time. And you just need to figure out how many increments there are going to be and what's that set period of time. 
The, the, the benefit of dollar cost averaging is, is that you're not trying to time the market. And as Chris says, if you put in an equal amount of money over that time period, you are essentially going to buy more shares when things are cheaper and buy a little less if they become a little bit more expensive. And it helps to ensure that you're not buying at the top. No one's going to be able to time it so that they buy it at the bottom. So let's put money in over time and we will get an appropriate investment level at a reasonable rate. Alan, let, let me pass that back over to you. The same question, what would you say to the folks that are sitting on the sidelines because they have that uncertainty about what the market's gonna do in the short term? Before they make any decision is to really reflect on what their goals are. Uh, it's important that if their goals have changed, if they have lost their job, if they have other needs, then maybe their liquidity issues are more important than thinking about what their retirement savings may be 20, 30 years down the road. But having said that, it's important that if they, if they decide that their long-term goals haven't changed materially, it's important that people return to accumulating wealth and investing it in a practice that will help it grow in the future. And currently with interest rates as low as they are, no one's going to get wealthy or be able to retire on the savings based on a interest rates of close to 0%. You guys aren't going to like this, but my Peloton instructor said something really insightful the other day. She said, we all have mental baggage. The one thing we can't do is unpack that baggage and stay there. We all make mistakes in investments. We learn, the goal is to learn from those mistakes and to move forward. And that if you have a plan in place and you deviate from that plan, you realize, whoops, that was a mistake. Well, you need to get back on the plan and move forward. You can't just sit there and say, I'm frozen. I can't do anything. What's your Peloton ranking? <laughs> Not very good. <laughs> <laughs> Both of you had mentioned these self-inflicted wounds that people have when it comes to investing, how that can negatively impact them. When you come across a client and they have experienced these type of negative events in the past, what are those conversations typically like? And maybe what are you doing or saying that helps them get past those events and create more healthy behaviors around investing? Often clients will come to us, prospective clients will come to us either because they've had a bad experience of investing the money themselves or with utilizing a manager in the past. And for us, the important thing initially in those discussions, and we try to have frequent discussions, both prior to someone becoming a client, as well as obviously after they become a client, staying in close contact, is to understand what their emotional reactions were that caused them to be at the place where they're looking for somebody. Second, to, to really understand uh, what their expectations are and to make sure that their expectations are reasonable. Let's face it, most of the bad decisions people make are when the markets are going down. So our goal is in working with our clients and working with prospective clients is to understand what's going on now when the markets are calm let them know about the mis looking at the past mistakes that may have been made when markets went down 
understanding what those mistakes were again when markets are calm so that we don't repeat those mistakes in the future i want you to expand on that because i think this is really important you talked about the mistakes people make when the market is going down you and alan have undoubtedly come across people who are chasing returns and trying to get the best returns every every year um obviously that's not a, a great trend uh, maybe you can speak to what that looks like as an outcome and maybe some of the negative impacts associated with trying to chase returns. Sure. So we, we call it the bright, shiny star syndrome, where there's a bright, shiny star that everyone's talking about it. Everyone's talking today's day. Everyone's talking about AMC and these meme stocks or cryptocurrencies, and they may continue to go up and they may continue to go up for longer and farther than I could have ever imagined. But at the end of the day, they're just chasing that recent performance. And what we're trying to do with our clients is let's focus on that long term here and not chase that high flyer, that bright, shiny star. Let's focus on fundamentals. And if you can focus on fundamentals and have that investment philosophy around the fundamentals, that's the way to avoid chasing that bright, shiny star. So I want to get to the behavior piece and what you're seeing in some of your clients. Can you share a story or maybe a piece of information around a client that you saw that had really healthy behaviors around investing? We often say that your wealth is not measured by how much money you have. It's by how much money you spend. And the clients that we're working with, the ones that tend to spend less relative to the amount of wealth that they have, tend to have a little bit better behaviors and act a little bit more rationally when markets are going down. It doesn't matter what the asset allocation that they have, but they tend to stick to that long-term plan. It's the clients that are going into any crisis that are overspending relative to the amount of their wealth. Those are the ones that have the longest or the hardest time sticking to that long-term plan. And so we really focus on when the markets are doing okay, making sure that that spending rate relative to the amount of wealth that they have is consistent with where they should be doing, what they should be doing. Just to touch on that, I imagine that's something that is not learned overnight, right? So when do you think these behaviors are really manifested in a lot of the individuals that have these positive behaviors? Oh, it's absolutely, they were taught them young. They were taught, they were taught them young and they were likely taught them as part of their family, family values. And especially from sitting in our seat where we're dealing with multi-generations of families. That's one of the neat things that we get to see is that the family values get passed down from one generation to the next, which then makes our life a little bit easier and how we're going about investing their money because we know what values that they have in place and can invest our clients' money alongside those values. To touch on that just a little bit more, because I think there is a segment of the population out here that it wasn't fortunate enough to have that parent or grandparent talk to them about these healthy behaviors you're talking about here, Chris. So what do you say to the people out there that really didn't have that type of guidance what can they be doing to help learn those behaviors now, whether they are 20, 30, 40, 50? I think it's sort of a question of 
looking at what they're looking, what's their ultimate objectives and what do they need to do now to meet that ultimate objective? And not only now, but what do they need to do between now and that time that objectives can be in place? Yeah, for some people, they may not have had a family member who was able to help them with their behaviors, with their knowledge as it relates to financial matters. Uh, I'd say for somebody who doesn't have that type of support from, from a family relationship, it can sometimes be finding out through friends or other family members if there's somebody they trust that they would recommend to to help them work through a situation. In some cases, that may be somebody who's in the investment advisory business, or it may be a financial planner, but it may be somebody that they can they can seek to help them uh, sort of talk through what they're what they know, what they don't know, what they'd like to learn, and how they can help themselves make better decisions if that's the route they want to go, or if they wanted to find a a trusted advisor to help them make those decisions. I think you nailed it and you touched on something that's really important about having those conversations. But also, I think there is a level of vulnerability that a lot of people don't feel comfortable with talking about finances because you don't want to look like, you know, you don't know what's going on in the market or you don't want to showcase the fact that you have a level of unsophistication about markets because it just doesn't feel right to talk about do you come across clients that you can feel there is a hesitation for them to open up and be vulnerable with you? And what do you think the impact is about not being vulnerable with people that can help educate you around these financial matters? As you say, financial information is a very personal uh, thing for many people. And when we typically have conversations, as opposed to asking for financial information that may be a, a question that's very imposing. We really want to know what, what do you want to share with us? With the obvious notion that the more information you share, perhaps the more informed we can be in helping you with whatever problem you're trying to solve or whatever goals you may have. It is an art form of talking about someone's finances without necessarily mentioning a specific dollar amount. And that is something that I think both Ral and myself, we have come to learn over time that there is a way to have that conversation without actually having that very specific dollar amount. And I think that's a way to get people to feel comfortable with that you're looking out for their best interests, that you develop that level of trust. And when you develop that level of trust, then they're willing to open up that kimono and give you some more information. I can't. I can't follow Kimono, so I'm done. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Finding Your Bench with Parkside Investments. For more information or to get in touch, please visit us at parksideinv.com. The opinions expressed in this program are for general information purposes only and are not intended to provide any specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine what investments may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. 
Any performance discussed in this program is no guarantee of future results. Any indices referenced for comparison are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional.